On this episode, we discuss the alleged Mandalorian schedule, another IKEA Smart Blinds update, one which blows my mind, and we say farewell to an important cosmonaut. We also discuss a NordVPN security breach, and there's a massive Disney Plus sizzle reel. Plus, we'll break down all of the recent Google announcements. I'm Haley from Gallifrey Public Radio, a Doctor Who fandom podcast and part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to episode 306 of the official GunnaGeek.com show. I am Stephen John Drew, and I am pleased to say that Chris Farrell is here again today. Sorry, I'm back, guys. That's okay. He's back, but we're also pleased to say that back again from a brief hiatus from his hiatus again is SP. SP, we're so happy you would do your pop in this week. I'm happy to be here, Stephen. I know it's a big night for you. You've got the Patriots playing. For those that don't know, Stephen is a huge Patriots fan, so it's Monday Night Football. Patriots are playing. And, and that's American football, by the way, which works for Canada because you're in North America, too. But it's the <laughs> Patriots are playing. And it is a big Canadian election night. I it don't is. know why it's not in November like Thanksgiving, but okay. <laughs> and and he's got Gonna Geek tonight. So it's a big Steven night. I just want to give a round of applause to Steven for his big night. This was all pre-recorded, by the way. All of it I was, was pre-recorded. Say, <laughs> if you stay for post-show, Steven's going to do live Canadian election results live with you folks who are watching. He's going to break down why this person won a certain district and why it's important in the grand <laughs> scheme of things when it comes to the Canadian elections. What you don't know is Stephen is a political pundit. He just hides it, but he is a politics geek. So that makes this appropriate for good yeah, geek. Stephen and I, or Chris and I wanted to give the live reaction to the Star Wars trailer, the last Star mm-hmm. Wars trailer, which is supposed to drop tonight during the Patriots game. But no, Stephen's like, nope, I have to do my election coverage. So no, it's no true. live trailer coverage for us here there, I'm gonna there is a rumor that one john sebastian hero might be coming back to talk canadian election coverage with steven in this special canadian election edition post show of the gonna geek.com show wait wait i like poutine see right there he's just off camera right now just off camera were your lips moving had nothing to do with it <laughs> no that's just a coincidence yeah yeah exactly what chris said uh, I just have to say that's true. It is actually today. We're recording this on Monday, October 21st, and it is the federal election in Canada. It's supposed to be a tight race. So when I edit this towards the end of the week, I'll be going, wow, this is just as un- uninteresting to listen to now as it was when we recorded it on Monday. So let's go ahead and move on to the news. Here we go. Let's go ahead and kick it off here with some news that's about a Disney service. I don't know if you guys know about this, but Disney's creating a streaming service. Have you guys heard about this yet? 
No, no do tell. tell me more. I know yeah. it's it's it seems like it came out of left field. It's very surprising to me that they they are doing this. It's something that I think out of the blue they've just decided to do a streaming service. If you're not familiar with streaming services, this is kind of like the thing that's called Netflix. Essentially, it's content oh. on demand digitally. That's what this streaming service is. And Disney has decided that they're going to do one featuring their own content. Now, me personally, I don't think they own enough content to do a streaming service, but they're doing it. They've decided they're going to do it. Surprising, right, SP? It's not via DVD that they ship to you? No, That's I know. Quickster. It's weird. It's very, very odd hmm. to me. Anyways, they've decided that they're going to do this streaming service. They think there's money in it somehow. Yeah, Chris. Question. Will this okay. streaming service have Winnie the Pooh on it? I, I think it might. I think it might. I'm not too sure. I don't then know. Then it's banned in China, and we are now too. <laughs> <laughs> will, will, will this streaming service have John Carter on it? I think that it will have Eric Cartman on it. I think I heard that that'll be on Disney+. Plus. Actually, no. The Cartman thing's really funny because I saw today that the rights to South Park are up and they're rebidding them, and Disney isn't going to bid on it because it's banned in China. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait, 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 wait wait a minute. One more thing. So you got the streaming service. Is How different is that from linear TV? Linear? Well, I'm not sure. I, I hear that you watch this digitally. There's a device you need, and sometimes you can skip around. It seems like voodoo to me. Like, I don't know. It's, it's no, sounds Walmart owns crazy. that service. <laughs> okay, so Disney Plus. We've all, all joking aside, Disney Plus is coming out very, very soon. Well, it looks like there has been a leak about one of the featured series that is called The Mandalorian. This is one that's turned a lot ahead. It's a Star Wars TV series. And I have to say, even when I saw it, I was kind of like, I don't really need a Star Wars series. And I got this. I got really excited. And it pretty much made me want to at least get Disney Plus for this. It looks like it's going to be really good TV. Well, it's looking like the release schedule has been leaked with episode one going to drop on November 12th which is the day that the Disney Plus service in the U.S. is going to go live. And then after that, each episode until completion will arrive on a Friday. It looks like it's going to end uh, around the end of December is what it's looking like the Mandalorian series is going to go through. So it's not like it's running for months and months and months, but it looks like that is going to be uh, coming as uh, with the series originally and then every Friday after that. A couple interesting things that I wanted to highlight about this. Number one, I like the fact that they're dropping this right away. I think it's really important that they drop some of these new series and new content very quick because you're not going to have long for the nostalgia factor to wear off. A lot of people are going to sign up for Disney Plus being like, look, I get the whole back catalog of Disney. And then after a little while, they're going to go, I don't need to watch The Little Mermaid over and over. And <gasps> I know, How dare you I say know. that? So that's going to happen. The nostalgia is going to wear off. So if they don't start with some of this good creative content right away, you might get some more people fading. And then the second thing that I wanted to highlight right here was the idea to do this on a Friday, meaning they know it's going to be an uphill climb to battle against some of the traditional mediums. And so we all know weekend TV generally sucks. And so they're doing it on Friday. Uh, They're doing it on Friday so people can talk about or watch it on the weekend, talk about it on Monday. I think there's a whole bunch of thought on dropping it on Friday. I think it's not a bad decision. 
What is the most watched night on linear TV? It's Sunday night, right? Is is it Sunday when there's NFL on? <laughs> it used to, you could make an argument Sunday because they were talking about when we were doing the Walking Dead podcast, Stephen. There were record days when the Walking Dead would get bigger viewers or bigger ratings rather than Sunday night football. So for a while there, you could argue it is Sunday, but I honestly have no idea now with the way cable's been broken up so you can just watch things when you want through streaming services or or recording via DVRs. I, I have no clue what the most watched day is. It used to be Thursday nights because that was like must-see TV back in the day when they had that comedy block on NBC. Right. And then like ER at the end, but we're going back to like the 90s when I say that. I, I have no clue now. Well, you know what the demise of good quality you know, early weekend content was. It was when they pulled cops from Fox. That that was when it was game over. Once cops left Saturday nights, game over, done. It was when they stopped doing Saturday morning cartoons on like Fox and things like that. You don't have that anymore. That's true. Well, I do know that sci-fi, when it was sci-fi, not Skiffy, sci-fi had their big night on Friday night where you had uh, Stargate SG-1, you had Battlestar Galactica. So this is going back to the mid-2000s. It's always been a good night for science fiction, which The Mandalorian is. So I can see that. But it seems to me that Disney's going to want that big blockbuster hit at some point in time, whether The Mandalorian is or isn't. That's besides the point. But I would venture to say if they're going to drop something like a Game of Thrones, like a Walking Dead, they're going to want to do it on a Sunday night, even though it's not linear. It's streaming. And for those of you that don't get what I'm trying to do here throughout this podcast is there is a term called linear TV, and that is for non-streaming service. Okay, so Wednesday and Thursday supposedly are the best nights for TV is what supposedly industry experts say Friday night is the death time slot. Okay, well, I think that one thing that's worth considering here is it's the chatter factor, right? And the fact that I think they want to entice people to watch this on the weekend or whatever in their spare time. I think that they want people coming to work on Monday going, did you watch The Mandalorian? Like, uh, I don't know. That's sort of what I'm thinking, maybe, but it's a random theory. So are you saying there's going to be a bunch of Disney Plus and chill? <laughs> Why do I have to keep watching the Mandalorian over and over? So, by the way, do you know why Netflix is still pumping the term Netflix and chill? I'm not sure why. Because they need new customers in the future. <laughs> Fair enough. For those of you that don't know what that term is, Google it. And make sure your image-friendly safe search is not on. Make sure it's off. Let's go ahead and move on to the next news point here, which is another update from Chris Farrell. Chris, you have been talking about this product for a very long time. You've been waiting to get it yourself, and it looks like it might just be a little closer. It might very well be. If you go back, probably been two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago when I first talked about this, we found out that Ikea was releasing a line of smart blinds. They were already out in Europe that were coming to the United States. They're called their Future Smart Blinds, and I probably screwed that up, so my apologies. They're finally starting to make their way to the United States. We were teased a while back. They'd be coming sometime in October as we record this. It is October 21st, according to my watch. You cannot order these blinds online, but supposedly they are available in select brick and mortar locations here in the United States. These are the Fjurter 
blackout blinds, not the lighter ones they're supposed to be having. Ikea is selling eight sizes of the blinds that range in 23 inches wide to 48 inches wide from a price range of $129 to $179. We did also find out that all blinds are 76 and three quarters inches tall because you can adjust just how high or low those blinds drop to. So they're finally sort of out. You can't buy them on the Ikea website, but you can check the Ikea website to see if they're in stock at your local Ikea. I might have checked earlier today and the Pittsburgh Ikea has literally zero sets of smart blinds in stock. So I will not be making a trip up to Ikea this weekend, but I do continue to pledge like I did on this show. Once these are available here in the United States where I can get them, I want to get them for the front uh, window of my house. I'll probably have to get two sets of them because my big I have a giant bay window in the front window, but I want this very badly because my house cooks. And remember, if we talked about these before, uh, they are battery powered. It has a rechargeable battery pack you can pop out and recharge. And the early reviews I had read on The Verge and a couple other sites said with just daily use of up and down, maybe once or twice a day, you'll get about six months life, life excuse me, out of these rechargeable battery packs. So that's not terrible, assuming they're in a location where you can easily get to to pull the battery pack out. If you're putting these in a window up high, you'd have to grab a step stool for or a ladder. You might want to reinvestigate the thought of smart blinds. But for $129 to $179 each set of blinds, I'm intrigued. I'll be getting two sets for my front windows at some point in time. And they did also admit, and we talked about it before, they work with Google Assistant and Amazon Voice Services. So you can just come up with your own routines where it knows to drop the blinds and you're good to go. I want these so bad and they're almost here. Is that what you do, Chris? Is that is that how you got your wife? Was you brought her over to your house and you dropped your blinds? Is that is that how you did it? No. Was that a euphemism? It might have been. It might have been. You dropped your hmm. blinds and then you Netflix and chilled. Hmm. Okay, so the thing that I wanted to highlight from this article, this honestly, quite honestly, disappointing article is that it says U.S. I'm still waiting Um, for information on Canada. Very disappointing. I have no idea if they're going to be coming to Canada. I want these. Uh, In the chat room, we've got Suncast, former guest of the show, regular reoccurring guest of the show. He's saying he wants them. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to want these because they're going to be fairly affordable. And for those of us who have looked into smart blind and other sort of window uh, smart technology, it's expensive. And these are supposed to be apparently quite a bit less expensive. I'm looking forward to this. I really, really want them to come to Canada. I have no idea Um, if they're going to come to Canada. Steven, I'm on Ikea.com slash CA and they are available for delivery right now. What? In Canada? Yeah. Yeah. Ikea.com slash CA. The 38 by 76 and three quarters inch set is $229 (gasps) and it's set available for delivery right now. I am so excited about this. I had no (laughs) idea they were in Canada. See, I I was just Googling this the last time we talked about it a few weeks ago and there was no information about it. And you guys in chat, there is the link. Make sure I am not crazy. You're right. I'm Googling here and (laughs) mobilesyrup.com. Yes, that's a website. (laughs) Mobile syrup. syrup, It's a Canadian (laughs) website. I I kid you not. Says that uh, they were launching in Canada. Oh my God. Chris, you've made my day. I'm leaving the podcast to go buy them now. Bye. The biggest day ever for Steven. By the way, <laughs> I remember talking about this like the last time I was on regularly on the show. So it's like nothing ever changed. I go away, we come back, and Chris is still talking about his automatic <laughs> blinds. <laughs> I want them so bad, guys. 
so God, they are available. Oh my God, they're available. Oh, this is so exciting, Chris. You have made my day. And Patriots are playing. Gonna Geek is on. He's got the election going on. I mean, this is Stephen's night. Okay. Yours are available uh, okay. online, and I'm so jealous. Mine are mine not. Aren't. Mine are available in line, uh, online, and they are currently in stock in the two locations that are over in the Vancouver area. There, there is, oh, I hate you so much There right is now. apparently four available in the Coquitlam location, Neil, if you're listening, and there are currently three available in the Richmond location, Neil, if you're listening. Oh. Have you measured your blinds yet? Yeah, I wonder if we could inter-office this. They're apparently showing in uh, an, another city where I have colleagues. I wonder if they could inter-office them to me. <laughs> so, Stephen, what is going to happen here is he's going to buy these and beat me to doing a tap that app segment on these blinds. And I, for one, look forward to it, Stephen. Go for it. I have faith in you. You can live up to the greatness that is Stephen taps that app. He's texting his wife right now asking her to measure the windows. <laughs> I'm Go just trying it. to figure out whether or not, A, I can get over there, get some time off of work. Uh, B, no, I'll just ship them. Uh, B, see which windows they're going to work because I'll be honest, the dimensions don't look like they're going to work that great for my windows, but maybe. And then C, find out if, if I have a way to make sure that everybody that wants to buy a Christmas gift for me this year knows that I want more of these. So that's that's what it's going to be. So I'm, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure all blinds can be cut to size no these can't they they come are, in specific sure? widths and that's yes yeah because of how the motorized pieces work you can't cut them well i i okay dropping you know all kidding aside like i'm not kidding i do want these but all having fun aside i'm not sure these are going to work for my windows but i'm going to be measuring because i honestly am shocked that they're in canada because the last time we talked about this I, like i said they were not showing as any announcement in being in Canada, Chris? Thank you very much. Thank you. For so I just, I just did the math and figured, and figured I'm tentatively going to need four or five of them of the larger size to fit in my front window, and that's starting to sound cost prohibitive right now. Seventy nine <laughs> a pop. That's easily a grand. Yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe I'll get it just for like the bedroom windows. <laughs> that's where I want these. Actually, I, I want, I want this in the bedroom window uh, because they are blackout, which is really. In the summer, the sun ri rises on that side, and so it's. We've been wanting a good quality blackout blind for a long time in there, but we also didn't want to deal with the headache of having to manually roll them, as lazy as that is, and all this stuff. And so this would be perfect. This would be fantastic. Plus, plus, if my wife's sleeping a little too long on the weekends and my kids are irritating me, I'll just accidentally open it and blame the kids. Simple as that. Teach them how to do it with Amazon or Google. <laughs> They'll figure it out soon enough. All right. Well, I don't know how we top that. Uh, because we don't. We should just call it quits uh, right now. Let's just go ahead. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Let's go. It's been a great show. <laughs> all right. Perfect. <laughs> See you all next week. Bye, guys. Bye. No, uh, we actually have to slip into a somber moment here because there was a big name in the world of space that we have lost. Yeah, I hadn't been really paying attention to the space news over the past couple of weeks, and I was going to be on the show tonight. I went back and on Friday, October 11th, so a week and a half ago, there was a notification that the Soviet era cosmonaut Alexei Leonov passed away. So I was like, wow, for those of you that don't know, Alexei Leonov was the man who did the first space walk or the first human that did the first space walk quote unquote walk 
He was the first one to go outside his space vehicle and be out in space alone. And he also has a a tie to modern day sci-fi, exactly modern day anymore, but sci-fi movies. So we'll get into that. So the article that I saw was posted on space.com, as I love to go to. It was written by Robert Perlman, and the title of the article was Cosmonaut Cosmonaut Alexei Leonov, who's the first to walk in space, dies at 85. Soviet-era cosmonaut Alexei Leonov, who in 1965 became the first person to walk in space before co-leading the first joint mission between Russia and the United States, Passed away on Friday, October 11th at the age of 85 in the Burdenko Military Hospital in Moscow after a long illness. It does not specify what his illness was. So he launched on the Voskhod 2, which was the world's 17th human spaceflight on March 18th, 1965. And he made history as the first person to exit his spacecraft for an extravehicular activity or EVA. After several minutes outside the capsule during the EVA, his spacesuit ballooned, making it very difficult for him to maneuver. His crewmate, Pavel Bailov, was unable to do anything to assist. Leonov made the decision to release air from his suit in order to be able to re-enter his capsule. Side note, that is very dangerous. You could basically get a space version of the Benz because the nitrogen saturation of the blood at that point in time. So it was a risky maneuver. And it was also a maneuver that Ed White, who was the first American to walk in space, had to duplicate because the two weren't sharing information back then. So this was a common theme of the mid-1960s. Leonov's second spaceflight came a decade later with the liftoff of the Apollo-Soyuz test project, which was the first mission conducted jointly between the United States and Russia. It was launched on July 15, 1975, and he docked his Soyuz spacecraft along with his crewmate Valerie Kubasso to an Apollo spacecraft carrying astronauts Thomas Stafford, Deke Slayton, and Vance Brand. Leonov was training for a mission to the moon. However, rocket failures ultimately led to the program's cancellation. The Soviets never actually made it to the moon. Leonov was also assigned to command the second mission to launch the Russia's first space station, Salute 1. However, one of his two Soyuz 11 crewmates fell ill days before the June 1971 launch, resulting in their backups flying in their place. Side note, the Soyuz 11 mission later ended in tragedy when a depressurization during re-entry led to all three cosmonauts being killed. So I guess that was a good time for one of his crewmates to get the flu or whatever it was. I don't don't really understand what happened there, but uh, the replacement crew never made it back alive. Alexei spent a total of 12 minutes, 9 seconds during his first spacewalk outside and a total of 113 orbits around the Earth during his two missions. For his service to his nation, Leonov was twice named a hero of the Soviet Union and awarded the Order of Lenin, among many other honors. He is a founding member of the Association of Space Explorers. Leonov was also inducted into the International Space Hall of Fame at the New Mexico Museum of Space History in 1976, an International Air and Space Hall of Fame at the San Diego Air and Space Museum in 2001. And this is the tie to science fiction. If you're not familiar, Leonov was further honored as the namesake 
or a crater on the moon and a spaceship in Arthur C. Clarke's 2010 Odyssey 2. And that's one of my favorite movies is 2010 and the Leonov Alexei or the Alexei Leonov was the Soviet ship that brought the joint crew to the Discovery 1. You know, this reminds me um, of something that I always find sort of fascinating to think back about. Uh, you mentioned there that they they uh, didn't share information, you know, the information shared between uh, the Americans and the Russians. But it's just, it really makes me think back to sort of that era and how tight-lipped everything was and how far we've come with sort of collaboration. Now, you got to look to see how is the U.S. currently getting up into space right now it's not on their own right like you know it's it's quite when so, somebody like this that was so important back in the era of space exploration um dies it kind of makes you think about all of the change and the development that we've done as the world with you know cooperating in certain regards with with space exploration and so you know it's it's very very sad but a big part of of you know, exploration in general. And uh, I just, I, I get, I, it's bad to say, but I get a little bit of comfort almost when something, somebody like this, this passes and we get to think back to what got us to where we are today. Yeah, this was in the pioneer days of space. Matter of fact, at the cusp of the Soyuz capsule development which we're still using to get up to the international space station today and it's going to be interesting to see how that cooperation progresses once the united states regains its ability to launch humans into space now remember you got boeing and you've got spacex that are developing capsules you got the dragon capsule and then the cst 100 starliner that are being developed by boeing uh, that should be operational by next year, they both suffered setbacks for safety reasons, and honestly, the Dragon capsule actually exploded because of the um, Jettison rocket that exploded earlier this year. But pretty soon, the United States is going to have the capability to go back up. So it'll be interesting to see how the collaboration continues between the two countries. The International Space Station is old. It is really old. The first block... I believe it was the the um, the, the Soviet um, core of it went up over two decades ago. That's old oh, for wow. a ship, right? So yeah, yeah it, we'll see what happens with the ISS. I'm all for looking back, like I just said a second ago, looking back at how we've evolved. I'm not okay looking back on the history of the current space objects up there because every single time one of those gets old enough that it has to get deorbited. I'm at risk for it hitting my house. SP points this out every single time. So I don't like to think about the fact that, you know, that space station is probably going to be my demise. So, Stephen, I know you still watch The Walking Dead. So, you know, I called up the producers of The Walking Dead and said, hey, you know, we need to scare the bejeebies out of Stephen. We need to put something in The Walking Dead to remind him of this event, which is going to occur. <laughs> oh, that definitely did happen. And I'm talking yeah. about the fact that I was hit by space debris. Uh, Chris, do you have it's anything true. that you want to say on this? I echo the sentiments that Steven said. It's interesting when you see someone like this with such a history who's passed to go back and look at everything they've done and man and realize, holy crap, we've come so far. 
I was thinking in terms of the Wright brothers, right? The Wright brothers, they first took off in 1903. And then by the 1940s, you had these huge air battles going on, right? You had the Memphis Bell over Europe. You had the great sea carrier battles in the Pacific, which the movie Midway is coming up here in a couple of weeks. And it's an amazing event to get that far. And then you look at when we first launch a human into space, 1961, you look how far we've come since then, kind of stagnated just a little bit, but it's going to be amazing what's going to happen in a short period of time. You take a look, the last time I was on with SpaceX and their uh, colonization ship, and things are happening really fast now, and we'll see how fast that they do occur in the next five or 10 years to see if we do get humans living on the surface of another celestial body, whether it's the moon, Mars, Titan, whatever. Wait, I thought Suncast was already on Mars as we speak. I can neither confirm nor deny. Mm, Suncast, you're in the chat. There's a bit of latency, but please confirm that you're on <laughs> Mars right now. We would appreciate it so I can win this argument. Thank uh, you, Deputy Director. By the way, I should point out right now that you two will look forward to see how we evolve. I'll be dead from space debris. So we should one point of that these out. days we're going to hit that house. I mean, when they come to deorbit, they're talking to us to figure out what house we aim it at. <laughs> they haven't quite gotten good enough yet to be able to go <laughs> right on to Steven's house. Well, moving on to the extra extra here. Let's talk quickly about a couple quick topics. Number one, those of you who are familiar with the concept of a VPN. In fact, some of you using certain streaming services, allegedly, that we talked about earlier, might possibly be using a VPN. Well, one allegedly. Of the, allegedly. One of the common things, uh, common names, I should say, that people talk about is NordVPN. They're one that they've actually got lots of advertising out there. If you watch any YouTube channel, you've probably seen somebody promote them at one point or another. They are all over the place. Well, it was confirmed that there was a 2018 security incident with NordVPN that involved a uh, data breach. Now, this was on one server only. And what they're saying is that there was a single affected server that was built and um, ended up essentially having a compromise that there was an attacker that was able to gain access to the server through an insecure remote management system that was left behind by a data center before, I guess, uh, NordVPN took hold of this server, so to, to, so to speak. Uh, it said, they said no user credentials were taken, but there was still some data that was leaked and that they're now going to hold their data centers to higher standards. They do say once they became aware of this breach, they ended up, terminating the data center right away and making sure to close that out. But who knows? Let's be honest here. If there was no customer data that was breached, it was probably just data as far as what people were viewing and things like that. But who knows? It's just though something that I wanted to highlight because of the fact that people think that a VPN is always making everything always perfectly secure and there is no flaw. And I'm not trying to fear monger, but I just like to educate on the fact that there could possibly be a data breach with a VPN. This is true. This is true. Uh, what what VPN services have you guys used in the past? Have any of you guys used NordVPN? Because I haven't. I don't remember the name of it. I tr briefly tried a VPN, but I don't currently have one right now. I'll have to I look at my one. email. Hold on. 
I got one for when I went down to Orlando for my honeymoon because the hotel had free Wi-Fi and I wanted to leverage that to do photo backups every day and stuff like that. And I picked up a bargain around Christmas time. I think it was a lifetime subscription to Windscribe for like 20 bucks or something like that is what it came down to. They've completely changed their uh, pricing model at this point in time, but I have a lifetime subscription. So as long as the service exists, I can use Windscribe and it works on iOS Android, Windows, browsers, and I think they even have it for Amazon Fire TV streaming devices. So you can kind of figure out what people would be using it for there. They do. They do. I I picked up that deal. You told me about it. And uh, for the same reason, securing connections otherwise. And um, yeah, yeah, I'll confirm there is an app on Fire TV. I just wanted to find out, educate, educate myself on it. Of course, he was not watching Star Trek Discovery in England. (laughs) <laughs> even though I have the licenses myself on, on Canadian television. That's a good point. So he probably wasn't actually watching Star Trek Discovery in England. <laughs> I did some research into the VPNs before I actually used it, and I apologize for not remembering the name, but I went with ExpressVPN because it was one of the more touted ones, and it was pretty easy and simple to use once I actually installed it. And it is capable of going across devices as well. It's just not as cheap as you guys got yours. No, uh, they, they all fluctuate. Let's be honest. They all fluctuate. But I will say that NordVPN seems to be one that I think they're around for the long haul. They've been around for a while. They seem to have found a pretty good, consistent base. And uh, I don't think they've deviated too much in their most recent pricing structure. So uh, you know, it's bound to happen, especially the bigger the company is. There's always going to be something that happens. And lastly, in the extra extra, this one here is just like mind blowing to me when I came across this. Have you ever heard of the concept of a sizzle reel, Chris Farrell? Have you ever heard of that? I have indeed. So for those of you not familiar, a sizzle re- reel is essentially a, cl- a bunch of clips in order to create some hype to do with something. You get this where uh, sometimes it could be a uh, art company that they put a bunch of their effects together in order to create a sizzle reel. It could be promotion for something. Well, that's what Disney Plus has done here. They have created a not one, not two, but three hour sizzle reel that they have put on YouTube. Yes, they have three hours of Disney plus us content put together in a sizzle reel over the course of three hours. I just kind of skipped through this because I'll be honest, I'm not going to play it, but it, it starts off with sort of like old Disney and it looks like it's kind of working its way up and stuff. And uh, it's just neat to kind of see the vast amount of content that is coming to Disney plus us. They make it very clear that it is Disney plus us. They make that perfectly clear it is us only and my guess is because they probably are a while off with securing back all of their rights in other countries because all countries have different rights optioning and so while they were able to pull back a bunch of the rights in the us in order to be able to launch with as much as they possibly could there might still be some other countries that it's going to take a while longer for them to get those back if they choose to, because some countries might not have a basis that they want to launch <gasps> Disney Plus there, right? The black hole. <laughs> for instance, Disney Plus still has no release date in England. There's some uh, folks I follow that live in the UK on Twitter that are very cranky about the fact there's all this cool Mandalorian footage coming out and they're saying, oh, it'll be available on day one. And he's going, well, unless you live in the UK, because I still don't even know when it's going to come out. 
Herbie goes to Europe. Sweet. <laughs> SB is currently watching the three hour sizzle reel. So maybe in another three hours, he'll join me for the post show Canadian election talk, maybe. Yeah, I'm scanning through it. I, the best I can tell is if you've seen the long list of all the Disney Plus property or the Disney properties that will be streaming Santa Claus on Disney Plus, it, it seems to be just like a short snippet of each one of those. And that's why it's going three hours. You know, I actually saw that as I skipped through it. I'm really curious to see what happens to some of these Disney owned properties. Because remember, Disney owns a lot of different companies now we've talked about it they they bought fox they own marvel they, they own all of these different brands that they've acquired over the years i'm sure that many 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 christmas movies somehow aside from sp's beloved hallmark movies probably have a tie to disney are we going to see those cut back from being on television this year i'm very very curious to see are we gonna have networks option able to option these rights anymore now that disney plus is out there I'm going to guess you're going to see a dramatic decrease compared to what we've seen in past years. SP will all be watching your Hallmark Mark movies. That's all we're going to see now. That's fine. They're on now, by the way, the holiday Hallmark movies. And I just haven't said anything about them. But yeah, they're on now. And you got Herbie. Oh, Herbie fully loaded with Lindsay Lohan. Oh, that's great. And yeah, it just there's a lot of great stuff that's on Disney Plus, honestly. Uh, there's a lot of crappy stuff that's on Disney Plus too. I'm I'm shocked that they put the Inhumans on there. I really am. And what I know you guys have had your Disney Plus se segment, but uh, this is going to be interesting. I am going to get it. It's just a matter of I'm waiting for it to come out because I would like to get the package deal, but I would like to get the package deal with the Hulu without commercials because if I can pay for that, then I don't want commercials. If not, I will get Disney Plus and Hulu separately. The important thing is we get all of the 90s cartoons. So who wants to join me on a 90s Marvel cartoon nostalgia podcast where we just go, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. The Each Clone week, Wars. I just saw the Clone Wars come up. Yeah. I can only do it Sunday mornings at the time you record ATGN. I can That's only fine. do that. I'm going to quit to do this nostalgia podcast. <laughs> then I'm going to leave that podcast in my capable co-host hands. I have no doubt they can continue to produce at the <clears throat> high quality that it is. There you go, Willie and Anthony. You know how committed Chris Farrell is. Uh, before we move on to the featured segment here, uh, I did run a poll earlier today uh, or earlier during the show asking, are you signing up for Disney Plus? We had 25% say yes, I already have. 25% say yes, I will be. And 50% said no. Also, uh, in reference to smart blinds, it was a 50-50 split for whether or not people were going to buy any smart blinds. But let's go ahead and move on to a very Google-heavy segment. Better Google it. Well, it's a shame that he's not on here today. Suncast is usually a massive fan of keynote presentations. Oh, this no. is something that Suncast has made it very clear on this show before that he sets his alarm anytime there is any keynote anywhere, especially Apple ones. He loves them. He thinks they're the most interesting thing ever. And sometimes he even does a post-keynote debrief, <laughs> kind of like, you know, the Talking Dead, except it's like talking keynote with Suncast. Talking Google. Talking Google. And th this one was no different because Suncast messaged us. We have a little chat offline, and he messaged us about this one saying, 
guys, I know you have taken the day off of work just to watch it because that's what we've all it's done true. here. And we're all it's very, true. very excited to watch this. Yes, there was a Google Keynote. And Chris Farrell had an idea to talk about this. So I'll turn it over to you, Chris Farrell, because I know you committed to Suncast to do this segment. Yes, Suncast. I'm here to present all the googly goodness just for you. We're going to go through some of the stuff that was announced at the Google Keynote. There's a crap load of stuff. I don't think we can cover all of it. And it will be at varying depth levels because some of the stuff I honestly just didn't care about. So we're just going to do the basics on it and move on to the next feature. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, full disclosure, before I get those hate tweets, they're like, why didn't you talk about the new Nest Mini a lot? Because I don't care. Okay, because let's just, I don't care. Let's just cut to the chase here. Let's like we're gonna do this segment, but let's let's get to like the the ultimate endpoint of this. All of that, obviously, if you didn't pick it up, that was all facetious. What I was saying, because most of us here hate keynotes, including Suncast. And, I love them. And truthfully, Google really screwed the pooch on this one here because they literally did their keynote, highlighted a bunch of cool things, and then at the end went. By the way, we got a whole bunch more stuff we didn't talk about. So check it out upstairs and it'll be yeah. online. Like they literally didn't talk about everything that they announced, even like even surface touching on. Like, look at this slide, all of this list. They literally omitted a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So so full disclosure, I never actually went and watched the keynote because <laughs> I saw Sudcast comments on it. I went online and read up from various tech blogs who went upstairs and played with all the new toys and got the background and then sprinkled in information from the keynote to figure out what all was important or at least interesting to me. So I was thinking about this after we had this discussion on the keynotes is that for a company, a keynote might still be relevant because you get to shape the conversation of those tech blogs because what they're going to do is they're just going to reiterate what you give them. So having a keynote is important for those reasons, but that's it. There is no reason that you or I are going to watch this. And uh, we're going to go through the products. The only other thing that I'm going to highlight right here about the keynote itself so we can leave the concept of the keynote behind. Google, did you not learn last from last time? You seriously still are employing people with no charisma? You had like like one person that was actually really interesting. Steven, you're employing people with no charisma. I'm still on this show. I'm not employing you. I'm not it, yeah, paying you. Yeah, the, there's no employment involved. Yeah. I thought I signed that contract for zero dollars. You did, but we all know if I was to even pay you a dollar, you'd be fired. We know that. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> okay, so go ahead and walk us through, Chris Farrell, all of these, all of these uh, things on the Google Keynote. Yeah. Well, now that I'm depressed, I'm going to tell you guys what came out of the keynote because I know Steven wants to fire me. For the record, Chris Farrell is <sighs> the highest ranking member of the GuineaGeek.com show. He has been on more episodes than me, and this show is basically his show. Mm -hmm. Sure. Let, let's talk about the stuff that came out of Google's keynote, because that's more interesting than how many episodes of the GunnaGeek.com show I've been on. Let's start Wi-Fi. We all love Wi-Fi, and Google got into the Wi-Fi market, what was it, in 2015-ish with Google Wi-Fi, and they are finally now in 2019 coming out with their second-gen Wi-Fi product called Google Nest Wi-Fi. It stands out because it has rounded cylindrical designs in a few different colors. Where it's, what's actually interesting, though, depending on your point of view, is that some of these Wi-Fi devices have the ability to dis, excuse me to double as a smart speaker. So effectively, 
They've made a Google Nest Wi-Fi that combines a Wi-Fi hub slash router and a Google Home device that you can place anywhere in the house. Why is this important? Because when you're talking about mesh Wi-Fi devices, you don't want to shove things in closets or in corners. You want them to kind of be out in the middle of the room to give you better coverage. And if you make something useful and you make it look pretty, a la this Nest Wi-Fi device, which they're calling a point that is doubling as a smart speaker, then you'll have better coverage. So this is Google's plan. Give you that one regular router you just plug in your cable modem, and then you get this point device that doubles as a smart speaker that you can put in a primo location within your house. This two-pack of Nest Wi-Fi devices should provide the same coverage of the original three-pack of Google Wi-Fi devices. Google estimates 3,800 square feet. And here's what's also interesting. Both of these new Google Wi-Fi products are backwards compatible with the existing ones. So you could always just buy, like, say, a single point device. That's the one with the smart speaker features in it and expand your network with that. So they are kind of keeping everything together, building you further into their ecosystem. But as someone who's used Google Wi-Fi before, I actually turned around and flipped it on eBay for a loss of only five dollars because I wasn't pleased with it. I'm kind of curious to see how well this one works because they don't have a dedicated back channel, for instance. It's intriguing, but I, full disclosure, I have an Eero system and I love it and I love everything about it. So the Google Wi-Fi is kind of a hard sell for me. Let's get a little more detail on these devices, though. Setup and control of Google's Nest Wi-Fi is done via the Google Home app. Now, Stephen, I know you've played with Google Home devices. They're pretty much funneling everything into Google Home. It's a very crowded app. And I don't really want more stuff controlled via that app because I have to dig down six levels deep to basically figure out what I need to control. It's not unprecedented. I do believe Google Wi-Fi is already controlled through there, but I kind of wish there was a dedicated app just to control or configure Wi-Fi versus cooking into one that already exists. Uh, Google Wi-Fi, excuse me, Nest Wi-Fi will drop on November 4th. Here are the different packages you can buy and their associated price. A standalone Nest Wi-Fi router is $169. The standalone Nest Wi-Fi point, that's with the smart speaker built in, is $149. A standalone Google Wi-Fi point, which is what we're what we have from before, Google Wi-Fi is $99. And a three-pack, one Nest router and two points is $349. Oh, and I guess this one's going to be exclusive to Amazon, supposedly. A uh, Nest point and a Nest one main router pack will be $249. So they're giving you a variety of options to build a mesh network throughout your house. I think it's a good evolution of the Google Wi-Fi product. But no Wi-Fi 6 is what a lot of people are concerned about. I don't care because nothing uses Wi-Fi 6 at this point in time. If you're in the market for mesh Wi-Fi, I would compare this to Eero or Orbi or um, Amplify HD and do your research there. I haven't done the Tap That app or a featured segment on it yet, but I'm a really big fan of the Eero service, which is actually owned by Amazon now. Just to be clear, you said exclusive to Amazon. You meant exclusive to Google, right? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. The one pack that is the point plus one main router, they're going to sell exclusively on Amazon. Oh, they are? Read. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, I thought you misspoke. Interesting. No, no, no. Now, that is what I had read on the comments section from a few different people on a blog. I haven't been able to confirm it for myself yet because it's still kind of soft and shaky. But that is what I had read is that they wanted to be able to sell that product exclusive on Amazon to compete with Amazon's own Eero branded stuff because they acquired Eero, what, two years ago now? Yeah. Ah, interesting. I wonder how long until that partnership takes a you-know-what again. And they don't like competition. It's the way those guys always go. They play nice, and then they 
tear down, tear it all down. And anyways, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I have to say with, with this year, uh, this was actually a highlight from it, even though I probably won't ever get it. But I knew that there was lots of people who had the same experience that you did with the previous Google Wi-Fi. Not a good experience at all. And I think that it's important that uh, as they they build this Nest brand um, into really home automation and just general home services that they try to get the sort of Wi-Fi aspect right. Because a lot of smart companies are leaning towards doing a, a mesh Wi-Fi system. And if they can't get in there, then potentially they could lose some of that smart idea and that smart concept. So I think that that's really, really smart that they're trying to refresh this. Where I'll give them credit is it's an interesting concept baking the digital assistant into a device, but they didn't make it mandatory because there's some people that would have their concerns about having a uh, a voice capturing device built into their router they're placing in there. So they've made it so that if if that's a concern of yours, you don't have to buy that. So interesting. There's a reason why right now I think Eero hasn't bundled Amazon voice services in any of their devices, for instance, because that, that might be a bridge too far for a lot of people. Fair enough. What's the next one you got here? So I, I teased this would be a short one. There's a new Google Nest Mini coming out. It's the latest speaker. There's very few things that have changed. What is interesting to me is they put a hole in the underside of this device so you can mount it on a wall. And it also appears to use a sensor to turn on indicator lights when you move a hand towards it. When this comes out on October 22nd, it's going to be $49.99, the same price as the existing home mini. Is it bad that the thing I'm most excited for in this evolution of the product is the friggin' nail hole on the bottom of it so I can hang it on a wall? Because in my <laughs> garage, I actually bought this weird little adapter kit from Amazon to hang a Google Home Mini off of one of my power outlets in the garage. You know, there's actually some third-party devices that that also um, do the wall mounting and whatnot, but I think it's smart. I think that they, the companies, including Amazon, need to realize that people do want to mount these on the walls. Uh, and I think that with the Google Home Mini, one of my biggest complaints about this release was that they didn't change the design or put lights on the side. And so if you want mm. to see those lights, you need to have it wall mounted or mounted in that position because they are on the top and it could be on your desk. But if it's up above your uh, visual point, you can't see those lights. And that's one of my biggest issues. There's two big issues I have with the physical design. Number one is the lights being on the top. And the second being the fact that the built in touch buttons are ones that are on the side. So if you go to move it out of your way, you accidentally activate it. I do it all the time with the one I have sitting on my desk down here. I go to move it all the time and I activate it. And I, I'm disappointed, actually, that they didn't do anything but add a nail hole and enhance the sound. I think that their design has been passed by other competitors. And I think that they really missed the opportunity here to, to look at what worked and what didn't work. Because they, they took full credit it the di first sort of visual worked. Amazon copied them, but I think that they have missed the opportunity to incorporate some of the things or get rid of some of the things that didn't work with the mini. There, there are four lights. <laughs> <laughs> this one here, I know this is coming to a Chris Farrell office pretty soon. Oh, yes. Next device announced the Pixelbook Go It is a new flagship Chromebook. Despite the similarity to the 2017 Pixelbook, it doesn't seem like a follow up. Instead, this one appears to look more like a modern MacBook. Google's trying really hard to push Chrome OS out there. I don't really care myself. I don't have any intentions of buying a Chrome OS book or a laptop. Rather, it seems to work for schools and things like that. 
This was available for pre-order the same day as the keynote in black or not pink for $649. Exciting stuff. Do any of you guys care about Chromebooks or in this case, a pixel book that runs Chrome OS? Not pink. Yes, it is a light pink color, basically. It's Google's play on words when it comes to color naming. They also had like a clearly purple or something like that in the past. They like to put weird adjectives in front of the color. I might be mistaken, but I don't think Chromebooks are at the point where they're powerful enough for me to be interested in and that I'm still a Windows guy because Macs are too expensive. And I heard that the Mac Pros aren't coming out. The next generation Pros aren't coming out till next year because of issues. But maybe I heard wrong there. Your guess is as good as mine. Let's move on to something that's more interesting because it's Chromebooks. Who cares? I just wanted to mention it because there probably are a few people that do. And if you do more power to you, I wish I shared your excitement. This time, a bit more interesting because everyone's getting in this game of headphones. Google had already been in it with the version one Pixel Buds. They did announce their next gen Pixel Buds called the quote, all new Pixel Buds, end quote. Great naming convention. These are actual <laughs> wireless headphones this time around that allow for hands-free access to the Google Assistant using the wake word of AG word. They support long range connectivity and Google claims they can, excuse me, they can remain connected to your phone through three rooms or up to a football field's length. For those of you that are unaware, that's a hundred yards. The devices will have touch controls for play, pause, and volume. They are sweat and water resistant. Where it gets interesting is when you pair them with an Android phone running Android in or higher, you'll get special features. Pixel Buds can detect the noise level of the environment you're in, adjust the phone volume accordingly, you can just say a G word to access the assistant and feature things like live language translation. Google says they do plan to add more AI features over time as well. Some of these things will not be available in iOS version. You'll pretty much just have Bluetooth headphones that can trigger, I believe, the smart assistant there. Like I mentioned, each charge lasts five hours, comes with a wireless charging case that'll give you up to 24 hours of playtime. They're available in four colors, clearly white, oh so orange, quite mint and almost black. They drop in spring 2020 for a price of $179. So we've talked about the Amazon ones. We've talked about the Google ones. We've talked about the Microsoft ones, and we've talked about the Apple ones on this show. Everyone is in this game now. These ones actually don't look as bad to me as the, um, the Microsoft ones, but they still don't look good. Like they still, I don't know that I like, this sort of round circular device sticking out of your ear canal. Uh, I, I think there's a, a, a spot in between that and the really like low, super weird hanging in low profi- profile of the AirBuds or whatever. I, I, I don't know that anybody's nailed it yet. I'm not sure. I think you'd have to try them to know for sure. I think honestly, it's a matter of how well these fit in your ears and how the how the low profile or the, the squatter nature compared to the bud nature work for you. It's honestly going to be a user preference thing, I would assume. That's fair enough. I much prefer the Bose QC35s. So when I upgrade my firmware and they don't work, I can get them to come to my house and try to figure out why they don't work. Well, there you, <laughs> you go. Guys, you guys didn't hear about this? No. No. Yeah, so the Bose QC35s, which are like the premier noise-canceling over-the-year headphones out there, they're firmware upgradable, apparently, and if you did it, which you had to do because there was a security flaw, they prevented people from backtracking to the older firmware now. 
then it doesn't actually do any cancellation. So Bose can't replicate the problem in the lab. So what they've done is they said, hey, anybody that's in the New England area, because that's where they're headquartered uh, and is experiencing this problem, let us know and we will come to your house and we will figure out what's going on. That's cool. Go ahead, let a random technician into your house that uh, is probably going to go and uh, take all of the competitor devices. That's that's the theory that I've heard speculated. Uh, I heard there's no merit to it, but uh, there might be. Uh, next thing that we've got here, what, what's going on? Uh, second to last thing, this one's going to be really quick. We talked about Google Stadia before. That is their cloud-based gaming platform. We have an official launch date of November 19th. If you get it, it will be playable on TV via Chromecast, Google's Pixelbook lineup, as well as Pixel phones. This is stupid how little time they spent on this and trying to sell it this to us. Well, they already did an entire event around Google Stadia. They did, but you have other eyes on it here that might not have watched that event. They should have given some highlights on why people want this, and they didn't. They really brushed over it very quick, and... I I don't know. I'm, I would have to if I were them because I had a bunch of other stuff they should have been covering. I more. guess I'm I'm interested to see what Stadia does. I haven't canceled my pre-order yet. I probably will, but I haven't canceled it yet. Interesting. Uh, I bet he forgets everyone. I bet he forgets. <laughs> uh, what was the next one, which should have been the big takeaway from this event? The final thing, one of the more leaked devices out there, similar to the Pixel 3 and 3XL, the Pixel 4 and 4XL were officially revealed. Google started off by talking about its solely radar chip, which it says enables gestures that you can use to command the phone without touching it. This is what they're calling motion sense. It's a technology Google has been developing for years. Effectively, it's radar on your phone. And in theory, it could enable interesting ways to interact with software. In this version, They have only chosen to implement three types of movement for motion sense to detect. They're three very broad gestures. Think of it as a proof of concept. If you've got your phone out, you can wave your hand over the screen to skip tracks when music is playing. You can do a gesture forward or backwards for forward or backward tracks. The second thing it does is detect your presence. The radar effectively forms a bubble over the phone. If you move outside it, it's going to turn off your always off display. So the use case here is say you had it on a charging stand or just a stand at your desk while you're working. If it sees your face there, it has on the low the low light level display because with an OLED screen, you can put a static screen up there for minimal power loss and you can see status updates, things like that. If you walk away from range of the phone, it automatically turns the screen off. That's kind of cool. The third and what is arguably the best thing that motion sense can do is tell if you're reaching for the phone. So as your hand approaches, the phone can react and start doing something before you grab it. For instance, ringtones and alarms. When one of them goes off and you reach for the phone to see what's up, it immediately quiets the phone down a little. Then you can swipe to mute the ringtone or snooze the alarm. Reach detection also does one more thing. It lights up the face sensors right away so it can look for your face right away and unlock that much faster. Why is that important? The fingerprint sensor's gone. It is face unlock for everything now. So motion sense. What do you guys think about that before we delve more into Pixel 4 details? Does it sound interesting or does it sound kind of like proof of concept for something more interesting down the line? I was under the impression that radar was a feature that was going to allow you to watch the unlimited amount of mash reruns. I was disappointed to find out that was not the case. <laughs> Whoa, copyright, copyright. I'm glad you started humming it because in my head, the theme started playing. 
Uh, motion sense, this is, so this technology is pretty interesting because when you get to the visualization of computers, you know, the 3D uh, virtual reality and, and actually projection in some cases, the hand motion, as we see in movies, are going to be more and more prevalent. So I'm glad to see this sort of technology moving forward in a mobile device because then it will be easier to do when you're in a boardroom or something like that. It, this is going to be pretty fun. It's going to turn us all into Tony Stark as we just start gesturing at our devices and they uh, respond to our controls. That and like Minority yeah. Report. Remember they did that there too. Yeah. I think that there's potential here. I'm not sure we're going to get the potential out of Google because um, this is exclusively to the Pixel. And I am until another manufacturer picks it up and really who has a bigger base, I don't know we're going to really see this evolve to the, to its potential. I don't I don't think there'll be a big enough market share. That's why I treat this as a proof of concept for something later. It could be interesting to embed this and say the uh, uh what's the Google devices with the screen? What do they call that now? The Nest the Net the Nest Hub. The Nest Hub, that's it. Yeah. If you enable if you put this on the Nest Hub so that if you were in the kitchen and you and you could say your wife was calling, you could make a gesture downwards and have it mute for a second, or you could skip to the next track waving a hand. I think there's a lot of potential there that would be very interesting. Also, if it's smart enough to recognize me versus my wife when I'm in the kitchen, it could automatically, just based off a camera look, flip over to our profiles and know what's going on. I totally agree. And actually, that's one of the things that I think we might get some potential when this goes elsewhere, because what do we see phones and other devices like the Nest Hubs doing now? We see a lot of smart technology integrating, including security cameras are so big right now because they're everywhere. And if you have like uh, an alert come up or whatever on your Nest Hub and you want to see your door cam, maybe you can all of a sudden just swipe up and it makes it full screen and you can swipe down when you realize that it's just the letter carrier or whatever. Right. So I think mm -hmm. that definitely there is some potential for this. I don't think we're going to see that for uh, potential on the Pixel 4. This is proof of concept. It's cool little gimmick things to try and get people interested and see what works and what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. What's the next feature you wanted to highlight here? So it's not unheard of. We've already seen it in some of the OnePlus phones like the 7T and the 7T Pro, I think is the other name. But both phones, the 4XL and 4 regular, will have a 90 hertz refresh rate OLED display, making scrolling around on social media and the news a lot more fluid than it usually appears on phones. You can also turn this feature off because 90 hertz refresh rate is a bit harder on the battery. And both of these phones don't have decent sized batteries might be the way to put it charitably. A lot of reviewers have come out and said that the battery that's in the Pixel 4, you get about four hours of screen on time if you're doing heavy work on it. And it's just not going to cut it throughout the day. It seems like the fundamental flaw on Pixel phones right now is the batteries uh, suck, which is a shame because the rest of the hardware is pretty sweet. They put six gigs of RAM in it finally. But Oh, well, yeah, that's a shame. That's really a shame here, um, especially if something like a new feature like this does compromise it, because that means they didn't think through the whole phone during development. Mm -hmm. uh, they also introduced, I mentioned earlier, face unlock for everything. Now that is new. That is the new biometric authentication. There is no fingerprint sensor on this device, so you'll use face unlock to access your device. It's very similar to what Apple does with the current generation of iPhones. It seems to be just a hair quicker, but there's a couple trade-offs to look into right now. One issue, uh, app support, it's fairly minimal. So like say you bank your banking app lets you use fingerprint authentic authentication, excuse me. You won't automatically have face authentication unless they've built that into their app. 
There's like three apps right now that support face unlock via this new method. So it could be a while until that comes out. And in the short term, you're back to entering your password for everything instead of using your fingerprint. And arguably, what is the bigger problem? Remember, when Apple put out their face ID, they made a big point of saying it checks to see whether your eyes are open, things like that to unlock. Uh, Google's product doesn't do that right now. So theoretically, if I was asleep, Stephen could hold my phone up to my face and unlock it. As reviews were coming out, Google did come out and say they are going to fix that, make it so it checks to ensure the eyes are open. But there's no timeline on how long it is until that comes out. So buyer slash user beware if you start using this face identification for everything. It's interesting, but I like fingerprint more. I wish the fingerprint sensor was still there. Maybe it's because I've gotten so used to taking my Pixel phone I have right here and just swiping down on the fingerprint sensor to drop the system tray and the notification tray. That's gone now, and I'm kind of bummed. I did run into a limitation with the fingerprint sensor on my iPad mini, and that is when I was using it to uh, rebuild the engine and have the schematics up and what the manufacturer said to do in, in the order of the steps. My fingers would be either covered with gloves, which wasn't a big deal since you just went to the pin uh, set of it, or they would be grease covered. So whenever I would put it on the fingerprint sensor, it wouldn't read it and it would have to go to the pin sensor anyway. So it's a limited. I mean, it's not new, but it was annoying for me. I really don't like the fact that for whatever reason we've decided and we meaning the companies have decided if they add face unlock, they're going to remove fingerprint sensor. I don't know why it can't have both. I too prefer fingerprint sensor. I think even having face unlock, there's times where the fingerprint sensor is helpful. Like if you're passing your phone to someone to use or whatever, you just put your finger on there. I think there's situations where you might not be able to get right, you know, close to it and maybe um, or sorry, you might not be able to touch it like SP said, and the face unlock would be better. I don't know why it's an either or. And I think that Google really screwed up if they're not going to launch with the eyes closed feature. That was just asking to be ripped apart. Like I'm a Google fan. Don't don't think I'm a Google hater. I'm a fan of Google phones, but I think that that's a big fundamental security flaw that they should have launched with. It, it's a trend in everything, though. You're not seeing both face and fingerprint on many devices anymore. You get one or the other. And I agree with you. But it's again, we've talked about sort of why that is on this show. Remember the race to thinness argument we made ages ago when they yanked the headphone jack out because why? Because courage or some nonsense like that. But that's what it is. You remove some of these things so you can add new technology and make the phone smaller. I mean, arguably these Pixel phones, if they were a couple millimeters thicker to give me better, batter, better battery life, I don't think anyone would be complaining. But everything's about, oh, how small can I make this phone when the smallness doesn't really matter when you start talking about two millimeters thinner than last gen. Who gives a crap? One of the things that this makes me want to do is really go with my current plan, which is hoping they make a four, a Pixel 4a because the 3a brought the headphone jack back and maybe the 4a will bring the fingerprint sensor back. But at the expense of waterproofing, that was the problem. I I'm okay with that. I can live with it. So a couple other things real quick on this because I know we're running out of time. They did show off more of the new Google Assistant. Why is that important? You don't require internet connectivity to interface with it now. It can do almost everything locally if need be, and it seems to be snappier. So if you have no internet connection or poor internet connection, you basically have the full assistant. And it's a bit more context aware. One of the demos that I had read about was they asked the Google Assistant to look someone up on Twitter. It did that. And then they said, show me their YouTube page. And it brought up their YouTube page. They didn't have to say, 
give them any more details than that. That's kind of cool. They introduced a couple new things in regards to the camera. Some people are really upset about it. I'm not particularly because I've never used it. No ultra wide lens this time around, but they did put a telephoto lens in there that has some of their own algorithms that are used to make for better zoomed in photos. And they also introduced what is called astronomy mode, which combined with night sight allows you to basically set your phone out, hit a button, and it just starts capturing until you tell it to stop to basically give you really cool pictures of the stars in the sky. The demo that they showed was gorgeous. It looked really cool. Uh, also, one other feature I forgot to put in the notes, but would be really useful if I was still in college, is there is a recording app that will live transcribe voice recordings. And it's not capable of just transcribing. You can dive into the recordings. You can search it for specific mentions of a word or a sound. So like if you were in your professor's classroom getting a lecture, you could hit the record button on this. It would transcribe the professor's lecture as you're going, and it is all then searchable. That would have been super cool back in college. This, I would have loved that. This transcribing feature is not a surprise given what we've seen Google doing um, on their search engine type of things with podcasts and things like that. But they demoed it and it did work well. They actually, what they did was they were doing their, uh, they had their speaker up there. They presented uh, what they're presenting and then they got to this feature and they said, and just to show this here, we've had a phone transcribing this the entire time and they flipped over and they go just to show it's 11, blah, blah, blah. And, and showed that it was actually a live transcription. Now, here's the thing that you need to be aware of. They had a speaker that was kind of talking like this through their keynote as they were getting up towards that point. And then after they showed the transcription, all of a sudden she started talking a little bit faster. So, you know, they were clearly having her speak slower before that point, but it worked okay. She seemed as robotic as all the other keynote people. Like, let's be honest here. Uh, I think that that's cool. And even if it's not fully accurate, it'll be helpful in many situations. If you're going to take a recording anyways, at least you have that transcription. The other thing that I want to say is by far the highest highlight of this was the whole photos discussion. And it was actually a pretty good speaker, pretty interesting demonstration. And the thing that I really, really appreciated was they highlighted when they did have to have people keep still or how long they had to do it over like that astronomy mode. You kind of have to, they recommend, I think, having it on a tripod because it's going to take a little while, take the photo over the course of a certain amount of time in order to make it all happen. Mm -hmm. And they highlighted that. They didn't hide the fact that we recommend a tripod. You're going to have to keep it still. They did a picture with that same mode, I think it was, where they had some staff. They go, and yes, the staff had to stay still for this for a while. I think it's really, really nice that they didn't try to pull the wool over our eyes and be like, yeah, we just didn't tell you how long it was going to take. Because that sets the expectation on how to use a feature like this. And hopefully that makes the feature more used because people go into it knowing about what's expected rather than just being disappointed and throwing it away and discarding it. Right, you are. So to me, what this comes down to is it looks to me that the Pixel 4 and 4XL is another example of Google showcasing some really awesome software on hardware that makes me kind of go... Yeah, I'm not sure if the hardware is quite where I want it to be. So my real question is how much of what they showed off at this event is going to trickle down to the older line of Pixel phones. I have a 2XL. I don't assume I'm going to get everything, but I would love it when I get new Google Assistant or that voice transcription capability. That would be really cool. But if you're on an old, like a first gen Pixel or a different kind of Android phone and you're ready to upgrade and this has you intrigued, 
If you want the Pixel 4, it starts at $799, the Pixel 4 XL at $899 for a 64 gig phone. Add another $100 to jump up to believe it's 128 or is it 256 gigs? I forgot to make a note of that. Whatever it is, the next level uh, storage is 100 bucks more and it's available in white, black, and orange. I did not put their fancy descriptors ahead of it because I honestly <laughs> forgot what they were. So white, black, or orange devices. As long as it's not pink. <laughs> not this time around and no clearly purple this time around. So some interesting stuff coming out of the keynote. Again, the software looks fantastic that they're putting on these Pixel phones, and I would lo- I can't wait to see how it trickles down. SP, you're an iPhone user. Uh, you've considered the Pixels before a couple times as you've gone to purchase. Anything here making you think, ah, I might get it? The astronomy mode is pretty neat, and I've been doing a little bit of comparisons between the iPhone 11 Pro Max and there's not a lot of data out there yet that comparisons back and forth between the two. And it looks like the iPhone Pro Max has an equivalent, possibly better astronomy, quote unquote, astronomy mode. I mean, it's night mode, but then you can use it to look up at the sky. That it would be neat for me. It, it really would, because then you don't have to have a huge telescope and a big uh, camera mirror camera to actually take these photos you could take them with your phone and the best camera you have is the one on you and you're always going to have your phone on you so it's going to be really neat to see some of this stuff and our future discovery is going to be made because there's more images available for computers to do machine learning or ai to run through all this stuff i don't know maybe new asteroids that are coming in and out of the solar system or more Kuiper belt or Oort cloud objects. I don't know. This is going to be really exciting. Yeah, I have to say, like, I'm disappointed with the Pixel 4. I'll, I'll say right now, as a Pixel user, as someone who thinks it's very important to get your security updates, I think you benefit by keeping with the manufacturer's OS. Overall, I'm pretty disappointed with the Pixel 4. I was telling other people that I personally don't see myself buying this unless the right sale price, the right financing deal comes along. I probably will just wait and hope there's a 4A. There's just not enough there pulling me in. And this is coming from someone who's owned the Pixel and the Pixel 2 and probably would have bought the 3 by now if it was a lot better than, than the issues that came with the Pixel 3. So You can get the 3 for a price cut right now. They you are can. still selling it. You can. Um, but I just I, I I don't have enough pulling me in here, unfortunately, and I worry what that's going to do to the pixel line. So you got a couple of things going against both Pixel or Google or Android phones and the Apple phones is you haven't had that revolutionary move forward. So people like Stephen and I that are rocking phones that are a couple of years old, we're like, yeah, these phones are doing OK. Yes, we would like the new techie stuff and we're techie people. But it's getting expensive, and I don't know if I can justify making the move forward. Like, if the iPhone 11 had a terabyte of storage, for me, that would have been the deal breaker going, yeah, I'm going to get this right away. But it's not. So I'm like, I don't know if I want to spend that much money to not get that much capability forward. The Pixel is the same way, and I think... That combined with the tariffs, which may or may not be enforced here in another month or so, are really going to impact sales for these new phones this year. 
I like how you said like Steven or I completely excluding Chris who has the same phone as me, except the XL version. We know Chris is going to get a new phone as soon as the deal comes out with his carrier. You, you just know Chris Maybe. is going to pull the trigger on I it. I have unlocked phones. I don't buy them through my carrier anymore because they rob you blind. Oh, that's right. I forgot. That's that's one really good thing that Canada did was the regulatory body actually mandated that carriers could not lock phones anymore up in Canada. Mm -hmm. So that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for this show. Before we go, let's just take a moment to plug and promote and do whatever we'd like to do. Chris Farrell, since you just spent all of that time packaging that segment together, talking, why don't you talk a little more? Promote. Hello? <laughs> I fell for it. I fell for it. Uh, no, so uh, if you want some entertainment, stand by after the show for Stephen's live Canadian election results show. JS will be joining him to talk exclusively about what it means for Canada and why we should care if we're not in Canada, because it will have implications on the geopolitical global stage. That's not true. That's not true at all. Uh, we will not be having an after show. Instead, yes, will. I will go and like we all do with our politics, no matter where you live and no matter who you vote for, no matter who you want to see elected. You're disappointed at the end of the night. The way it always goes. <laughs> if you're in Canada, though, you have your case of Molson that you can delve into. That's Oof. exactly what I'm going to do, except not Molson. And it'll be better. Uh, <laughs> SP, Oof. is there anything that you'd like to plug or promote? Yes, I would. So Starling Tribune came back with the final season of Arrow with a vengeance. Chris Myself and Michelle, we had episode 251 of the Starling Tribune, which we talked all about the premiere episode of Arrow, as well as the first couple of weeks of the DC CW TV shows, the DC comics shows that are on the CW network. So you can find that at guineageek.com. And once again, that's Starling Tribune episode 251. We are back and we are running all the way to the end of Arrow. And more importantly, maybe same importance the crisis on infinite earth's crossover starting in december going into january i have to say the arrow premiere so good so darn good i really appreciated it i really appreciated your coverage of not just that but the entire kickoff to the cw shows uh i think that you you've done well over on the starling tribune there the last couple of weeks thank you very much and also just want to highlight right now that um I actually watched them out of order along with a couple other people. So if you don't know, Arrow now follows the Flash. And there's a few of us in the Discord server over at gunageek.com slash Discord. We watched them in reverse order. And there was a little bit of debate that happened uh, over a discussion over whether it mattered or not. And to me, I personally, I personally want to throw it out there. I'm curious to see this coming week how they handle that debate. I don't want to give spoilers. But I'm curious how they handle that debate on Arrow because it's going to tell us whether or not they are truly writing these shows independent up to the crossover or if they are wanting everybody to get on board every single series up until then. It'll be interesting to see. Either way, you guys are doing great over there. Uh, you too, as well as Michelle Ely. So check that out on the Starling Tribune at gunnageeknetwork.com. But that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of another episode of the officialgunnageek.com show. For this episode, I'm Stephen Jondrew saying thanks for coming back, SP. We hope you're back permanently soon, and we hope 
that everybody stalks you. I mean, follows you on other podcasts. MSP saying it's a joy being back and we'll see about the end of 2019. I'm Chris Farrell, and I know for a fact that Suncast is sciencing the expletive out of stuff up on Mars. I also know that he loves keynotes. I love keynotes and Laurel, my favorites. Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.